0: Hi and welcome to another Music Ally Focus podcast with me Music Ally's editor Joe Sparrow and this episode is another in our series that is digging into the burgeoning web 3 space and the new concepts the ideas and the conventions that come with it and how they might relate to the music business. We're very happy to welcome to this show Ian Simon who's co-founder of Strange Strangelib Studios which is a visual content production company, and also Spirit Bomb, which is a spin-off virtual artist record label. Uh, He's going to explain how virtual artists and Web3 technology can unite to create new and desirable experiences for music fans, and how it might even bring in new music fans and expand the overall pie. Now, what is this Music Ally Focus podcast? Well, as you know, Music Ally provides an analysis, rich and contextual guide to the music business. And each of these Focus episodes analyzes one meaningful music business story at a time. And this podcast is also going to be quick. It'll take about the same amount of time as it would take. And by the way, uh, friends, here is a job title that I think we would all like to have. Professional Whip April Choi, to burst 1,350 balloons with a whip. April burst 54 of them in one minute in 2018. And more power to her. Now, talking of explosively grabbing attention, one of the benefits of Web3 technology, its proponents argue, is that it can help encourage meaningful interaction between fans and artists. We've seen examples, for instance, of NFTs acting as fan club membership tokens. But what if the artists don't exist in the first place? Well, that's what we're going to talk to Ian Simon about, because he has a record label of virtual artists and they're connecting with people via NFTs and Web3 technology. So let's get into the virtual realm and start our interview. We're very happy to welcome Ian Simon, who's co-founder of Strange Loop Studios, which is a visual content production company, and as part of that, Spirit Bomb, which is a virtual artist record label. Hi, Ian. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Joe. Appreciate it
0: before we jump into the topic at hand, to set some musical context, for to know who we're talking to, do you have a favorite piece of music, one that you would take with you, uh, if you could only take one? It can be an album or it could be an individual song or something like that.
1: If I had to choose one, it would probably be 26-2 by John Coltrane. I think that was, that was one track that to me, it was like a callback to, you know, charlie parker and a lot of the jazz that i started on but it was also my foray into much more exploratory music and it's one that has kind of hit me different at every different part of my musical right. development and it's aged really
0: well right it's something you've taken with you through life yeah. those a that's a good choice okay yeah. good great thank you i will link to that below the uh, podcast as well so we can all listen to that afterwards so can you first of all to set some uh, uh more uh, technological uh, context for instance can you explain what Sort of briefly explain the relationship between Strange Loop Studios and Spirit Bomb, and sort of how that works. And then, with regards to Spirit Bomb, how you sort of came to play, you know, uh, music god, a, a creating artist.
1: <laughs> sure. Uh, so Strange Loop Studios uh, predated Spirit Bomb by by quite a few years. Um, I started it with my co-founder uh, David, who was a super talented, still a super talented. Uh, musician and visual artist and he was deep in, in music and visuals uh, before he and I met. We founded the studio together, primarily started as uh, creating content for touring musicians and we would create 3D animations, go out on the road with the musicians, that gradually expanded into a roster of VJs touring with musicians as well as our group of animators at home uh, that were creating the content. and. From about 2012, when we were, you know, just sort of a ragtag collective of uh, creatives to about 2019, we we steadily grew and expanded into uh, doing music videos and other short form digital content uh, for musicians and then also creating some original content at our studio. And that latter is really what transformed into Spirit Bomb when we started creating our own characters and uh, creating our own narratives. And the Spirit Bomb characters were really just created with the premise that we weren't going to launch them through any conventional siloed media verticals like television series pitched to Netflix or short film that we we're going to try to finance and get out on the festival circuit. We really wanted to create these characters and seed them online as if they had a semblance of autonomy. Um, and we knew that we wanted them to be audiovisual projects. So that, that was sort of the, the genesis of Spirit Bomb.
0: I'm looking at your uh, the list of people you've worked with, and it's yeah. fairly comprehensive. Live visuals. You've worked with people from the weekend to uh, Dave Gilmore, Kendrick Lamar, yeah. Anderson Pack. You know, th- these are these are big established artists who bring a lot of weight and a huge fan base with them. So, what what was the impetus behind thinking about making those virtual artists?
1: For a long time, that work was, uh, you know uh, we were sort of very happy to stay working collaboratively, uh, with artists exclusively because it really, it, most of the artists you just listed, uh, all of them actually, um, uh, from Kendrick to the weekend to David Gilmore to Anderson pack, they're all very collaborative projects where I think the appeal of working with us was sort of, you know, we our aesthetic style. And the fact that we were a collective of, of artists rather than just, you know, a technical agency. Um, but it still was, uh, you know, largely dictated by the needs of the artists for their tour. They usually had finished the album by the time they came to us or finished the music and we're looking for a music video and we weren't ideating from the ground up. I think that was part of what was exciting about Spirit Bomb is we knew we didn't want to create avatars just for one person. We really wanted them to be their own uh, sort of living breathing entities where multiple creatives could contribute. And we thought that that dovetailed nicely with the idea that every creative contributor would be staked equally in in deciding the path from the from the get go, rather than um, tacking on creative contributors once uh, once there was already sort of an established body of work that was trying to get translated into the visual space or need music attached.
0: Okay, so can you explain what these virtual artists are like in the sense of you know what, what how do you build them and how do What's the relationship with fans like? How do they interact with them? Uh, before we start talking about the sort of Web3 angle, what's the what's the sort of basic experience like?
1: We knew that, um, as you alluded to earlier, we had mostly worked with artists that had already uh, done one of the hardest parts of the music industry, which is building your loyal fan base. And that if we wanted our virtual artists to be successful and have their music heard by a lot of people and be valuable to the creatives that were actually bringing them to life, that we would need to uh, cultivate fan bases for these characters. So. We designed all of our characters in 3D, and uh, we really wanted to test a diversity of visual styles, musical styles, and personalities, and so our first step was to create a pretty diverse array of characters and then develop a lightweight testing model to get those early uh, character designs out into, you know, in front of uh, humans and see who they responded to. Uh, There's definitely some visual cohesion just because there's an overriding strange loop aesthetic aesthetic that lives in the uh, sci-fi realm primarily, and uh, and is distinct from some of the other like virtual influencers or digital beings that that are out there. But we still tried to try on a little, a lot of different things so that we could see, you know, if, if some things that uh, surprised us resonated with people, and then we could kind of chase that and and use that as a um, bit of a compass for for further development of characters.
0: How then does all that connect to the Web three part? How do the nfts that are involved and the web3 technologies create a community structure around those artists
1: yeah well we um did not design spirit bomb with web3 in mind it was really when uh, over the last year year and a half uh as we've seen the the culture and, and technology around web3 developed that we realized how much it aligned with uh not only the philosophy of spirit bomb but some of the uh friction that we were having and actually standing it up and achieving some of the like uh fundamental tenets of how we wanted these beings to exist and i think the first of them is uh you know we we called our characters distributed artists uh back in 2019 because of the idea was that the creativity would be distributed across a network of um of creatives uh not just musicians visual artists and storytellers uh and mostly because the word decentralized wasn't really in a our vocabulary at the time um, but it really does speak to a lot of the you know there isn't we we don't want to be especially over time the the complete centralized governing authority over each character making every minute decision i actually have some thesis around the idea that virtual characters uh are unsustainable when controlled by a small uh centralized uh group of people and that in order to have the kind of cadence that makes them feel alive and be posting all the time the way a human would where you can just lift your phone up and take a video of yourself uh you need a, a expansive and fluid group of creatives to supply that content that are all kind of playing from the same playbook and can bring the character to life together so i think that was the first touch point is this idea that we wanted to from the jump uh, uh release some of the control to the community of fans and creatives that were were helping us build the character. Um, so I think that was the first touch point. Um, and the second one was was in terms of was shared ownership for contributors. You know, so much of the NFT space is fundamentally uh, opposed to the work for hire uh creative agency de facto models that we had been engaged with for so long. Um, where even in in artistic projects that were very collaborative, uh there was no participatory function with an artist. So NFT space and Web3 in general are very predicated upon the notion that those who are contributing to the output sort of staked to the success of the project. And there's been a suite of tools that have been developed to make that a lot easier, as opposed to some of the anachronistic joint ventures and issuing of of, uh, stock options and waiting on dividends for, for people to get paid. And so when we were thinking about how we would stake and reward people who were contributing to our characters, That was another um, alignment with the Web3 space that made us excited about uh, bringing Mm -hmm. Bomb more fully into
0: that space. Let's take a a hypothetical virtual artist. The, The community around that can then interact with the artist's ongoing activities and whether as creator, or maybe you can differentiate here, whether as creator or fan can make decisions that affect the artist's work and output. How does that work and how does that balance?
1: We kind of think of our characters as multi-sided platforms, where there are the fans who conventionally interact with the character by streaming their music or watching them on Twitch, uh, or you know, uh, reading or contributing to fan fiction about the characters. Uh, and then there's the creators who are uh, on the other side, supplying the creative output of the character, whether that's actually you know contributing to the design through uh, 3D design or Um, collaboratively creating music that would become part of the lexicon of the character. Uh, And that way the characters can provide a lot of value to that latter group of creators who maybe are making music but aren't content creators. And so they're having trouble getting their music out into the world. And the character as this vibrant visual identity can kind of provide that platform for the musician to get their music out into the world. Um, But we are trying to blur those lines a little bit, like fundamentally have the fans be more involved in voting on, on some of the decisions that then are being enacted by the creative side and really trying to, to allow fans that are invested enough to want to contribute and engage a lot to maybe slide on over to the side where they are actually fundamentally contributing uh, more creatively and, and, and not divide such a stark line between these are the people who are creative and these are the people who are passively consuming and make it uh, much more of a bridge between those communities. Are
0: there any examples of this that has happened in the old music industry? Have you sort of identified any artists in the past where, for example, they've listened to fans and, and made changes accordingly or, or there's been some sort of decentralization? Is there a, is there a sort of like a, an old school parallel to be drawn here or, or is this really new territory?
1: But I do think it is new in a sense that you know, we're very cognizant that it's it's Divergent from a lot of uh, the ways as an individual artist, you might think about honing your craft, which is kind of forget about everybody else, just get in the, the black box of creativity and see what you need to express and, and as an individual that that need uh, versus balancing uh, balancing everyone in our collective sort of individual creative drive but that funneling that into a way that, that becomes more accessible and enticing for fans to not only listen, but contribute.
0: One thing you've I've read you talking about is this idea of the wisdom of the crowd, yeah, yeah. As, as opposed to, I don't know, uh, having a virtual artist that has a centralized team making decisions, or even a virtual artist having some sort of AI machine learning yeah. driven team, you know, or... Um, Virtual team, if you like, that's yeah. sort of creating content. So you, th- this is the sort of the third way, if you like, which is starting from the bottom of the pyramid up to the top. Um, why do you think that's a, a good way of doing it? Beyond what you've already said, why is that? Why is that a um, a good starting point in terms of creativity and to produce the art that fans want? And is there a point where it becomes fan service which we've seen you know criticism leveled at some big movies recently yeah um, particularly ones in the sort of superhero space yeah. for instance where it's sort of you go through a sort of if you watch them, it goes through a sort of box ticking exercise of certain characters appearing and doing things because it's what the fans expect and so yeah. and it becomes actually quite a sort of um an adventurous experience so yeah. how do you how do you balance that why is this the right way to 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 make the art?
1: Yeah, and you know, I'll start by saying that I don't purport to have totally nailed this balance yet, Joe, but we're we are working yes. on it, but exactly those those reasons that you described because you know, when we first started creating these characters, we did run up against uh difficulty in getting them out to people and thought maybe they're a little too deep in our aesthetic and a little too too alienating for for people to kind of understand and grasp the concept that we wanted. Uh, but we also didn't want to. Uh, Eviscerate them of what we thought was creatively interesting, and I think one example uh, that I think is a a counterbalance to the Marvel uh, sort of just churning out more and more uh, market-tested sequels, uh, often at the expense of creative ingenuity, is uh, when, when beginning of the pandemic, as producer Kenny Beats, uh, who we've known for some time, had a a super active Discord, he. put out these all calls for um, for like beat submissions. And his community, independently of Kenny sort of at the top drawing all these people together uh, and sort of legitimizing the operation, they would create and curate dozens and dozens of songs, select the top 10, and then what emerged would sort of be presented to Kenny by the community. Kenny would usually bring in another uh, artist um, to, to sort of judge those final 10. And what you saw coming out of a community who was allowed to sort of uh, contribute to this uh, to this collective was uh, I think mostly characterized by ingenuity and novelty and things you wouldn't have seen otherwise. And I think, that, so the wisdom of the crowd is kind of a, a, a double-edged sword where on the one hand you can reify things that have been super established and just get the same data back and over and over again in a way that kind of closes off the uh the desire to produce something novel but i think you can also get a lot of um a lot of new viewpoints and a lot of uh, variegated outputs that get a chance to be heard uh because you've opened that door to the crowd sort of uh self-selecting things that you might not put in front of them and thus you'd have no idea that were, we're popular um, or interesting or novel
0: we've seen virtual artists develop in various ways in the last decade or so there's been some very sort of famous early examples but we're starting to get more and more i mean actually if we go 20 years back we i guess gorillas were were one of the uh, early examples of this um but in the sort of modern sense so what are the characteristics of a virtual artist that fans want because it can't surely just be a visual avatar for some music or something what do fans actually want in terms of fan artist connectivity for instance and what can you get wrong while trying to figure that out
1: Tatsune miku was one of the first virtual artists uh to have you know not to have a, a damon alburn type behind them but to have that incredibly uh intense fandom around around her uh and i think what they got right was the uh, nurturing of the parasocial relationship with the character where I think they really did try to make her uh, relatable in a way and maybe maybe more present than a human artist could be sort of like some of the a character that you felt like you could be with more because they exist entirely in the digital plane um, rather than this inherent distance where between a, a human artist where you're always hyper-conscious of the mediation between yourself and the artist, because you know that there's a translation to the digital that has to happen, get compressed, and then get uncompressed for you to see it, uh, versus Atsune Miku, who just lives there. So you're really kind of getting the real deal when you interact with her digitally.
0: Is it the key, then, that you have to build not only the character, but the the methods of communicating and and the type of character, f- sort of first, if you like? So that it's, it's building an artist in a completely new way, isn't it?
1: The parallels to a human artist start to fall away the deeper you get into it, which is part of what made us so comfortable in diving into it is that we never really took seriously any thought that we would be replacing human artists, because the experience for a fan is so different. And y- y- you've got to know on a level that it's artifice and that's part of what's fun about it is that it's got all this potential out, outside and above what human artists can do in the physical plane. Um, but that's that's why we really are leaning into this interactivity component. and. Uh, and you, so I, I actually remember to the point earlier where we were talking about ba- balancing the desire to be surprised by the character versus um, uh, versus being able to contribute. And I think what will keep it exciting, or at least what we, what we suppose will keep it exciting is the, the fact that things will emerge that you could never have predicted, even from a creative community that's all working together, you may look at your output and be like, "Wow, I never really saw this coming." Or the, because there's a lot of individuals all engaging in this uh, collective creative act, I think we're going to see a lot of emergent properties that uh, feel like it's more than uh, so something emerged out of it that was that was interesting, far and above just the the individual atomized components
0: that that created the, the product one of the things we're seeing at the moment is not just with web three technologies but across the music industry is that um essentially all these new opportunities like you say that they don't seem to be cannibalizing into human artist space i've had the same conversation with people who run ai music creating platforms and and um and live streaming platforms you know is what we're what is what we're seeing like an expansion of the pie that we're sort of seeing music albeit perhaps music that could not have existed ten years ago and music experiences that couldn't have existed three years ago connecting to communities of people who perhaps before did not consider themselves m- music fans maybe they were more gamer fans maybe they were more something you know is that what we're seeing is is expansion of music and and, and the fan market and actually you know people like me who are perhaps not inherently very interested in um the, or i think i mean i may I may be wrong in, in the future but i i don't feel sort of inherently interested in in being a, a participatory in one of these things um but it's not for me anyway so i shouldn't understand it or is that, is that what we're seeing
1: yeah i think that there's there there is an expansion of the way the not only sort of the available uh the kinds of media for fans, but the available modes of interaction with, with those media. And I think there's there's sort of the the banner headline examples like uh the the Bandersnatch Netflix uh, you know, that happened a couple of years ago that I think uh, didn't really turn into what they promised, at least not immediately, of of sort of a wide swath of media suddenly uh, uh, diving into this interactive space. But I think there are all sorts of interesting projects that uh, that mimic some of the interactivity that you see when, like for a live streamer, for example, the chat, uh, it does it's not necessarily framed as an interactive medium, but I think the interplay between someone who's streaming live and reading the chat and your ability to not only go in there and watch that content, but potentially have a voice in there uh, is is fundamentally opening up a, a new, um, yeah, making the pie bigger, I think rather than eating into to a, another slice of pie. And I think it's also representative of a new generation of, of um, consumers that don't presuppose passivity in their consumption habits and that maybe there is like a way to get involved.
0: All right, just to jump in, if you're finding this conversation useful and you'd like more of this kind of in-depth news and trusted analysis waiting for you in your inbox every morning, as well as access to all of Music Ally's industry-leading reports, head on over to musically.com slash subscribe. If you work for an indie label, you're an artist manager, you're an employee of a CMO or a publisher, you might also be eligible for one of our sponsored complimentary subscriptions as well. So head on over to musically.com slash subscribe to find out more. And now let's go back to talking to Ian. As you look forward... On the assumption that there's going to be uh, virtual artists connecting with, you know, millions of people uh, as a percentage of the music audience and there's going to be some sort of, as you say, there's a generation of people who consider themselves not passive, they're creators as well as consumers, even if it's only a little bit. Um, How do you see that, that developing in terms of, Where's it going? What what might we see if if things keep ticking over like this?
1: My hope is that we'll see a, a further dissolution of that that um boundary between between fan and, and artist, and that it, it translates into maybe a bit of a rebalancing from some of the fetishization we've had of, of the celebrity of artists artistry, and that uh particularly as it as it's become conflated with celebrity. Uh, absent artistry, and that I think there really is this this unattainability that's become the norm for some of the uh, the artists with the most fans, and that you, I think that is distinct from from even previous modes of uh, famous musicians who were famous because of just their craft or or something that felt maybe like if you studied hard enough or if you it was still attainable to you uh, or at least aspirational um, and might make you want to go. Pick up an instrument or uh, or 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 dive into some production software, rather than I think some of the, the 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 trappings that have become almost as important to to being a musician as as the music itself, which I think can be, feel harder to to maybe wear or, or see yourself getting the backing of a major label, getting sort of all, um, all of these these other accoutrements that feel so crucial to to being a, a, a quote unquote successful musician these days. And that by dissolving, you know, by by bringing fans more into the creative process, uh, acknowledging that appreciating music, consuming art is a creative practice and that it requires some creativity from the fan to even appreciate it, and and acknowledging that uh, maybe will loosen a bit of the some of the hold that these these more uh, image centric. Uh, narratives and and modes of success have, have taken over the industry, and that it can it can really unify fans and artists in, in a way that feels more based around around the art and the creativity and the appreciation of of, um, of what the fans bring to the table and what the artists bring to the table. Um, what that will mean for the industry as a whole and how it'll play out and sort of the economic side, I'm not quite sure yet. And I think we feel very happy just doing our part to push forward the art and create something. It almost feels like a new medium of artistic expression where you can where you can be on either side of that uh, fan or artist uh, spectrum and uh, from that vantage point seeing how it plays out throughout the rest of the industry
0: Yeah it is interesting isn't it because it feels like there's a series of new paradigms being sort of conjured up at the moment yeah. and some of them on, are not compatible with let's let's on a very technical level let's say some of them are not compatible with let's say music licensing which has been around for 80 years or whatever and yeah. it, and, and there will need to be some sort of changes if those legacy catalogs of music are going to work in a, a new creative medium where users expect to be able to use bits of music like lego bricks to make something yeah. for instance and yeah. th- this is another example of that um right. and yeah it's it's definitely uh, an exciting time in terms of how uh, what happens when more people become creators and and but their view of creativity is maybe fractional as yeah. opposed to being monolithic? Uh, very yeah. interesting. Yeah, thanks, uh, Ian. So like, if if people are listening and we, we're going to put some links around the podcast to um, obviously to Strange Loop and to, to Spirit Bomb. But and, and is there a particular project you're working on with Spirit Bomb that might be one for them to check out immediately as a sort of good taster?
1: Yeah, uh, so the, the project that we're working on right now is, um, you know, I, I briefly mentioned the the process by which uh, we developed our, our virtual artists. And, and the first one that uh, we tested that, you know, we tested several and uh, one of them had uh, more sort of organic traction off the bat than the rest of them. And his name is LV4 and he's a hip hop producer and he's a cyborg uh, from the future. He's He looks maybe more more tough than, than he actually is. He's a bit of a naive bull in the china shop who doesn't quite know what he's doing here so he's he's you know had a fair amount of success on uh he's accrued a hundred thousand followers on tiktok he's released a couple tracks with with human artists the underachievers and, and mr carmack uh and we're currently doing a project with him where he's our first character that we're really experimenting in some of what we talked about where we're opening him up more to the community so if you want to join that community where we're doing a um uh we have we have our discord open now uh which i can send you the link i believe it's discord.gg slash strange loop uh and that's going to be the hub for for how to plug into lv4's creative consciousness and and uh have a lot of the creative touch points that we're talking about whether it's contributing music deciding what the story should be voting on his visual design but then also getting a lot of behind the scenes access to strange loop and our team animators so so that's the hub we're driving people to now and there's going to be a sale this spring of of the Genesis NFTs for LV4, which will be the um, access cards for, for some, both uh, contributing to the community and then also um, accessing a lot of the, the rewards that will come with LV4's future success.
0: Uh, digging around a Discord for a couple of hours is a good way to really get to grips with the, sort of the, um complexities of something like this you really have to sort of look at the community to to understand it so yeah that's great i'll I'll put that in the link okay so uh ian simon thank you very much for joining us Uh, it's been great
1: it's been a pleasure thanks so much for having me
0: so big thanks again to ian for joining us and uh, blowing our minds a little bit about how artists may or may not need to be actual people and what that means for fans and commerce around them there are plenty of links next to this podcast uh, showing you some examples of what he was talking about uh, so you can get involved yourself if you found that conversation useful please share the podcast on with someone who you think will also find it useful and if you'd like to get in touch with me please do it's joe at musically.com that's joe j-o-e at musically.com and it's always a pleasure to hear from you We also have a free weekly email that comes out every Friday and explodes enthusiastically into your inbox called The Knowledge and it rounds up a soupçon of the best analysis, news, marketing, insight and skills that Music Ally publishes. So do sign up and impress your boss. Links are around the podcast as always. And finally, thank you for joining us here on Music Ally Focus uh, and until next time, from me, Joe Sparrow, farewell.